listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Have a copy of God's Word and turn with us to Acts chapter 18. We'll be in verses 1 through 23 today. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 23, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, this week and next week. Are, are really fa- we're really getting into a really fascinating part of Acts. Anyhow, uh, this this message today will finish out the second missionary journey of Paul. And the next week's message will begin the third missionary journey of Paul. And so as we continually progress, we see how Paul really engages with different types of societies. And it's absolutely amazing because this has direct parallels for us as we minister today, uh, ministering to different types of people. So we want to ask, if you will, to stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 23. And the theme of this uh, message today, the title of the message, is Reasons Why We Should Not Fear When Doing the Lord's Work. A lot of times we don't do the Lord's work, but due to fear. uh, Fear of what may happen, or fear of what could be, or what might be, or what will this person say if I mention Jesus, or what will this person do if I mention Jesus. Well, I want to give you today five reasons why we should not fear when doing the Lord's work, and we see this in verses 1 through 23. After these things, Paul departed from Athens. Remembering last week, Paul is in Athens. He delivers the message to the Athenians at the Areopagus. And um, some people came to receive Christ. Uh, And so uh, he comes back to Corinth, we see in verse 1. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Emperor Claudius had commanded that all the Jews depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who was who, uh, who, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, so the leader of the synagogue became to be, came to accept Christ. And many of the Corinthians, heard, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in, in the night by a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews were one, with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. 
And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names, then your own law, uh, look to it yourselves, uh, for I do not want to be judge of such matters." Then he drove them all from the judgment seat, and then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while, so, and when he uh, took leave of the brethren, he sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And then he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he, reasoned, uh, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, in order uh, strengthening all the disciples. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. We just ask, Lord, today that you would allow me to speak your words with boldness and with clarity. And Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it is in the name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. There's a story of a new pastor in a small Midwestern town who spent the first four days of the ministry visiting all the members of the congregation and visiting the the members of the community and trying to uh, make the next service a a big grand spectacle. Not not really a spectacle, but, but have the whole place packed out. But he was discouraged when he came back the next Sunday and saw just only just a handful of people there compared to the people he visited. And uh, he, he, told, he was telling this church, this church had gone through some troubles and trials, and he told the church that if things didn't change, the church was going to die. And so he was going to hold a special service in which he was going to form a eulogy over the church. He was going to have a funeral for the church. Well, this sparked everyone's interest, and they thought, a funeral for a church? What in the world is he talking about? So sure enough, that evening, he has a coffin brought in at the very front of the church, and he preaches a message, and he says, you will find the reason why this church is dying. Go and look inside the coffin. And when each person, one by one, opens the coffin, they find a mirror showing the depiction of themselves. Now, this illustration is simply to say that we all have a ministry to do for Christ. And when we fail to do that ministry, it can lead to bad results. So the question is I have is why are so many churches in North America, and especially in the United States, dying? Tom Rayner says on LifeWay.com that around, and conservatively speaking, around a thousand churches each week in the United States close their doors never more to open again unless it's rebooted somehow or another, restarted. Sometimes that happens. And unfortunately, the number of church plants do not equal the number of churches that are closing down. So the big question is, why are we seeing this in the United States? Well, there may be several factors behind it, but I think one of the things we must consider is fear. 
I think we have become accustomed to fear, fear of ministry. We fear doing the Lord's work. Maybe we'll be seen to be unpopular. Maybe we don't know what a person's going to say when we share the gospel. But I think fear is a motivating factor behind the failure of so many ministries in the United States. But I want to give you hope today. You don't have to fear. Amen? Paul was one who was met with all kinds of obstacles in his ministry that you've already, you've already seen thus far. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was stoned. He was, uh, he was whipped. Uh, he was, as you're going to see later on, shipwrecked. I mean, everything possible that could happen to a person seemed to happen to Paul. But he did not quit. He did not give up. Maybe he was just too hard-headed. And I think maybe there needs to be a little hard-headedness in us when it comes to doing ministry as well. But one thing about it, he did not fear. Now, that doesn't mean he was never afraid, because I believe he was. I think we do get afraid. But what I mean by fear is that we allow that fear, that, that being afraid, to motivate us and keep us from doing something great for the Lord. There are five reasons why we should not do that, and we see this in the ministry of Paul in Corinth in verses 1 through 23. First of all, there's a good reason why you should not fear, and that is the passion of our friends. It's amazing to me in this class I'm taking right now, looking at the New Testament, it's amazing to see Yes, there is an emphasis on individual salvation, and I believe that wholeheartedly. There is an emphasis on that. But there is even a greater emphasis that the Bible has in the New Testament about the community of faith. I, I want to tell you something. I've, I've discovered something quite interesting, that Christianity was never meant to be a lone wolf enterprise. I mean, you know what I mean by lone wolf? That you think you have to do it alone. God has never intended that to be the case. God has built up a community of faith, friends and family, because you and I are family. Now, I know we saw many fathers, but did you know that we're all related? Did you know that we're all related? We're all related in Christ Jesus, amen, because we share a same, same bloodline. You say, well, wait a minute, I've got A positive and maybe you have O negative or maybe somebody has AB blood. How does that make it? I'm talking about the blood of Christ flows through our veins, amen, that we have the same Savior, the same God, filled with the same Spirit and going to the same heaven. And so we are part of the family of God. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. Paul meets up with this couple uh, 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 the husband's name is Aquila, and the woman's name is Priscilla. And here again, ladies, don't let anybody tell you that the New Testament is the first member of the anti-female woman-haters club because Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in the New Testament. And four of the six times, Priscilla is mentioned first. Did you catch that? You can even see this in the passage of Scripture in Acts. Why was Priscilla mentioned first? Because she was a woman of great intellect. She was a woman of great wisdom. She was a woman after God's own heart. And in fact, you see later on in the letters of Paul that she is very instrumental in training this Apollos guy who is, one, who is the, one of the Billy Grahams of the ancient church. I mean, he becomes an incredible spokesman for the ancient church. So this Priscilla and Aquila, they are tent makers. 
And in fact, it seems to be that they are very successful tent makers. It seems to be that they have a tent-making firm stationed in Rome, in Corinth, and also Ephesus. So they had this big business, but they used this business uh, to glorify Christ as they were both born-again believers. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Paul would not have, been, have had the ministry he had if it had not been for Barnabas stepping up for Paul. But Paul would also not have had the ministry he had in Corinth if it had not been for Aquila and Priscilla. Amen? That is just to simply say, this is not a one-man organization. Well, it is according to Christ, but I'm talking about as far as humanly speaking, it's not a one-man show. We are a community of faith, and when we come together and we encourage one another in Christ, we don't have any reason to fear because, quite honestly... We should have each other's back. Amen? We should have each other's back. I'm also told that, um, in fact, around our house, you, you hear these geese flying in formation. You can hear them honking, honking. They're loud little critters. But they, they fly in formation. And it's an interesting formation in which they fly. I've been told that they can fly thousands of miles in this formation, and they do so together. From my understanding, you have the one bird, the one goose, who takes the lead. And boy, he is really plugging at it. He is really charging away. And the geese behind him, are at the, the next set of geese, they're, they're, they're flying a little, little, little harder, not as much as the first goose. And then the geese behind them are a little bit easier for them. And the last geese, man, they're just gliding along. They're just flying in the, they're just flying in the draft of the, of the geese before them. Well, eventually this lead goose, he gets exhausted. So you know what he does? He flies back in formation towards the end, and another goose takes his place in the front, and they shift the formation. They can fly thousands of miles because they're supporting one another. They're giving each other lift. That is the biblical description of the church. That is exactly what we as a church are supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be encouraging one another, lifting up one another, so that we can continue this journey, not individually, but together. Amen? So we don't have a reason to fear. And this also gives us a challenge as a church that we need to seek ways in which we can encourage another person. You know, you don't know what another person may be going through. And we don't know all the difficulties that each person in this, in this sanctuary today may be having this morning. Some of you may have woken up this morning and you have a heavy heart. Maybe there are a lot of things going on in your life. But I want to tell you today, the number one, God loves you and there's encouragement to be found in Christ. But I want to also tell you today that we need to lift up one another in prayer, but say a kind word to someone. You never know what good, how much good a kind word will mean to somebody who's struggling. It may be just telling someone simply that I'm praying for you. It may be just telling someone simply I love you. It may be telling someone something, just something nice for that day. You never know how, what an impact that will make in a person's life. So that gives us one reason not to fear. Secondly, the persistence of our faith gives us a reason not to fear. And we see this in verses 4 and 5. Paul found rest with Priscilla and Aquila. 
He was making tents. He was still going about his ministry. But he waited till uh, Silas and Timothy got there, and then he continued his work as he did before. He didn't let the problems of yesteryear, he didn't yet let the problems he had encountered before keep him from fulfilling the, the calling that God had placed upon his life. You know, I have spoken to, you know, going through ministry, there, there are trying times. Of course, all of us, it doesn't matter what you do, there are going to be difficulties that you face no matter what you do, no matter where you go, amen? You're going to face difficulties. But I was talking to a couple of uh, pastors, and, and they had gone through some very difficult uh, situations, and one of them had, letting the thing, had let the things of the past go and was focused on the ministry of Christ. And you know, he had a wonderful disposition about him. But the other one was still caught up in the past. And you know what? He was bitter. And I hate to say this, but I really didn't want to be around him that long because, man, he was dragging me down. I mean, all of this complaining that was going on about this and about that, it's like, man, I'm alive. Boy, has somebody become a negative Nancy? You know? Uh, I mean, and I know he was probably just trying to purge, and I understand that. But we have to let the problems of yesteryear go because Christ has not called us to live in the past. Christ has a wonderful future for us, and we need to be focused upon that future. Persisting in the faith and persisting in the trust that we have in Christ Jesus. We also see that there is a purpose, the purpose of our foes. Did you know that even your enemies that you may face when you are, in, when you are doing ministry actually serve a purpose in God's plan? That is amazing to think about that. And that's just like the devil. He thinks he's going to stand in the way of God. He actually ends up helping God's ministry because he falls along with what God had him store all along. Because think about this. Think about this. Uh, Paul is encounter, he encounters this uh, opposition by Gallio and some unbelieving Jews of Corinth who rise up and mount up a, an opposition against him. And we, when we see this taking place, and, and there are several other factors, but we're running low on time, so I won't bog you down with all the details here. I can talk about it after service if you're interested about the reason why uh, the Caesar had boosted out the Jews in that, uh, in, into, um, into the day and time. Out of, out of Rome is what I'm trying to say. He boosted him, kicked him out of Rome. There was a reason behind that. Uh, but so anyhow, Paul was met with this opposition with Gallio and met with opposition with these other individuals who were standing in his way. But what they end up doing is God uses the opposition to actually benefit the ministry. Because God, Paul doesn't stay in Corinth. He goes to these other places and guess what happens? They are blessed. More people come to faith. I mean, and, and as you follow along, God is actually even using the opposition for His own glory. So a lot of us, sometimes we're afraid of what my, people might say to us. We're afraid of what people might do to us. But when you understand that all of it's going to follow in behind God's plan anyhow, why should we even fear that? Amen? If God's going to receive the glory behind all of that, uh, why fear? I was going to take this in a different direction, but I'm going to share with you this story. Voltaire, uh, I think, I kept trying, I'm trying to think maybe 1700s, I think he lived in the 1700s. At one time, he said, the Bible within a hundred years is going to be a worthless book and no one will ever read it. He said that, I believe, in the 1700s, if I'm not mistaken. He said, the Bible, within a hundred years, no one's going to read it. It's going to be a worthless book. No one's going to read it. Did you know, within a hundred years' time, Voltaire obviously passed away. But a hundred years afterwards, his own house, 
The house in which we, he lived, the house which he used to make those statements was bought by a Bible society and was actually used to publish the Word of God. Not only had the Bible not ceased to exist, his own house was going to be a publication center to distribute the Word of God to a lost and dying world. I'm just telling you, friend, don't fear opposition because God can use that opposition to even do great things uh, for His glory even despite the opposition you may face. For instance, it's just like Pharaoh. Consider this. Pharaoh, God knew Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. You follow the biblical text. God tells Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, he brought judgment. Pharaoh asked Moses, pray to God that God would remove this judgment. God showed grace. He removed the judgment. Pharaoh hardened his heart. But God still used Pharaoh despite his opposition in his plan to move the people out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land. So don't fear your foes, because it's like what Romans 8.31, my life verse says. If God is for us, who in the world can be against us? Now think about that. If the creator of heaven and earth is on your side, and he has your back, then who in the world can stand against you? And the answer is nobody. So don't fear what may come. Don't fear the opposition you may face in our society. And yes, there are a lot of situations that are going on in our society uh, that are very troubling. But don't fear that. Focus on Christ. Number four, we see the progression of our fruit gives us reason not to fear. And verses 7 and 8, Paul kept laboring. Uh, He had not rejected the calling of God. And he noticed that these individuals kept coming to faith, like Crispus and and Titius Justus and and many, many others who came to faith. We see this also in verses 18 through 23. He did not let a few setbacks stand in the way of what God was wanting him to do. And God blessed him for that. And he continuously saw fruit grow and develop because of the ministry he had, because of his faithfulness to Christ. And if you keep trucking along in Christ Jesus, and you keep your focus upon him, beloved, you will see fruit. You may not see it immediately. It may be a few years down the line, but you will eventually see fruit. It's like, for instance, you you may have an impact on individuals that you never knew just by living for Christ. Uh, and there's a fact, in fact, a lady uh, that I went to high school with, she sent me a text and told me, I never knew this, but she told me that I was actually influential in her coming to Christ. Because she said the witness I had uh, that during the time she knew me back in high school, uh, that in addition to the work of her pastor, led her to Christ Jesus. I never knew anything like that had taken place, and I wouldn't have known unless she told me. But beloved, I'm going to tell you, if you live for Christ and you do a great work for Him, heaven only knows how many people who are going to come to you when you reach God's throne and thank you for your life, thank you for your testimony, thank you for your ministry, people who were blessed by you that you never even knew. And beloved, I believe, truthfully, if we continue in our ministry, we keep our focus upon Christ, we will see far more fruit than we ever dreamt or imagined. And last but certainly not least, on this Father's Day, the reason we should not fear is due to the power of our Father. Again, I say, if God is for you, nobody can stand against you. Paul was a little discouraged due to the things that had taken place. 
But look back at verses 9 and 10, and I want to focus upon this just a little bit longer before we wrap up. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in, a, in the night by a vision. If you have a red-letter edition Bible, these should be in red letters. It says, do not be, what? Afraid. God Himself is telling Paul, Jesus Himself is telling Paul, do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. We should not fear, number one, because God, our Heavenly Father, has our back. If we have the back of one another, and if we, if we have the backing of God Almighty, then man, we have every reason not to fear. Because if God is on our side, then we're not only going to see great things happening in this world, but we're going to see great blessings come about in the kingdom of God. When I was a little boy, I spent quite a bit of time with my grandma and grandpa Chilton. And I remember out there, uh, grandpa was a farmer. And uh, I remember it always smelt so good around grandpa's house in the summertime. Because he had every type of fruit that you could imagine. It, and all grown naturally. He had two apple trees. He had a pear tree. At one time he had a cherry tree. And he chopped down the cherry tree. No, he's not George Washington, but I don't know <laughs> my story behind all that. But at one time he had a cherry tree. He had two apple trees, a pear tree, uh, a cherry tree, a grapevine, a strawberry patch, a garden, and there was a blackberry patch over uh, to the other side where mom and dad's house is now. I'm going to tell you in the summertime, man, it's just a delight to stand out there and smell. It's just a delight to stand out there and breathe with all this fruit just smelling so good. And if you could keep the deer away, you could actually get some, you know. I uh, had to keep the deer away and other little critters. And boy, those bees like the apples too. You had to watch them too. But I remember, I remember all the time I spent over there. And I remember Grandma used to make some of the best blackberry sonkas you'd ever put in your mouth. Oh my goodness, it makes me hungry just thinking about it right now. She would send Grandpa and I out to, to, to pick these blackberries. And boy, these blackberries were so good. We would go up there and Grandpa would have his buckets and I'd have my buckets. And we'd be picking blackberries. And, but I noticed something. that Grandpa had picked two buckets of blackberries and I only had about a quarter of mine. And you know the reason why? Because I ate them as fast as I was picking them. And uh, I don't remember this, but Dad told me, according to Grandpa, not only did I eat those of my bucket, I started eating them out of his bucket because these blackberries were so delicious. I mean, again, it was just a pleasure to breathe. But you know, Grandpa and Grandma have passed, and, and, and this isn't the fault of anybody, but over time, you know, the garden has fallen by the wayside, the, the, the strawberry patch is there no longer, the grapevine has passed, and, and the blackberries are no longer there. But I'm just thinking that, you know, with their passing, all of this fruit <laughs> left. You know, all of this fruit seemed to leave with them. But I'm just thinking of the fruitfulness we find in our Heavenly Father. And I just can't help but think when we see uh, these depictions of the new heaven and the new earth, of all of this bountiful fruit, all of this bountiful garden that surrounded Him, all of this life that we find in God the Father. Wherever God is, He brings life. And if you have the power of that Father, I believe if you're picking black... I enjoy doing it. I spent time with my grandfather, and I spent time with him. If God loves us and saves us, for us to do ministry for him is small in comparison 
to what he's already done for us. So that's a reason for us not to fear. A group on the final leg of their cruise was uh, celebrating this one particular honoree. Uh, earlier in the cruise, earlier in the cruise, there was this woman who, uh, who fell off the side of the boat. And she was, just, she was drowning. And this 80-year-old man jumped in the water to save her. He was a, he was a vet of, uh, of, of one of the wars. And so he jumped in the water to save this woman. And so he, he swam her back to the boat. And they brought her inside. And they more than just honored this man. And on the last leg of this cruise, they had a special dinner to commemorate this hero who was in their midst. And so they, uh, as they were celebrating this man, they asked him to come up and say a few words. And he stepped up and he says, will you deem me a hero? And he said, I appreciate that. But I want to just ask one question. Who pushed me in the water? That's what I want to know. Who pushed me in? <laughs> Courage does not mean that we're never fearful. But it means that we do the right thing when faced with adversity. And sometimes God may have to push us to get us to do something great for His kingdom, to do something for His will. But with Christ, we have the power to do great things. And ministry is not something where we sit on the sidelines waiting for someone else to do something. Because you know what? If we keep waiting for someone else, nothing will ever get done. Amen? God has all called us not to be on the sidelines, but to get in the game of His ministry. And he, so we don't need to let fear keep us from serving Him. We need to serve Him because He has saved us. And we ought to want to serve Him out of gratitude for the great things that God has done for us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to come down today to receive Him before it's eternally too late. Or maybe you're here today and maybe God is calling you to do something great for Him. Maybe He's calling you to do a particular ministry or to do a particular task. And maybe you just want to come down and ask the Lord what it is that He wants you to do. We encourage you to do that as well. Or maybe you want to surrender to a ministry for which God has called you. We encourage you to do that as well. Or maybe you're here today and you'd like to join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and life, we just encourage you to respond according to the Holy Spirit's will. To kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love and your compassion. We thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. As we think back upon our fathers and our grandfathers who have been very influential to us and the great times that we've had with them, they pale in comparison to, to the wonders of your grace and to the glories of your love. And so we would just simply ask, Lord, this morning that you would have your will and your way in this congregation during this invitational time and let, incline our hearts towards you, to incline us to want to serve you with gladness and with joy. And Lord, never allow fear to hold us captive for doing, from doing something great for you. Lord, we just again ask that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. For it is in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. Oh.
The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Manson Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.